0: Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Obviously, I'm looking for your support. The tortoise Shack relies on you to pay it forward and keep the podcast platform viable and free for everyone. How you do that is you click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise It is at the top of the podcast that you're listening to right now. If you're not in a position to throw us a few quid, please do me a favor. Palcast is a new podcast. It's a collaboration with the just world educational and and the tortoise shack and we're delighted to be working on it. but we want you to share and let people know and the, and the best way to let people know is by hitting subscribe, leaving us a five star review, and letting your friends know where to find us. That means you're sending them the link for our Spotify or Apple feed or whatever your podcast player is that you listen to us on. So just to repeat, we obviously need your support to keep the tortoise Shack going, but if you're not in a position to do that, the best way you can do is by sharing and letting people know where to find us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Yusuf al-Jamal, and welcome to the PalCast podcast. Brought to you by Yusuf al-Jamal from Istanbul. I am a Palestinian from Gaza, and I grew up in Nusirat refugee camp. Um joined by my co-host Helena Coben from Washington, D.C. Helena is the president of uh, Just Word Educational. Uh, this is the first episode, and we're going to discuss how global politics is shaping the um, escalation and genocide in Gaza, and how Gaza is shaping global politics at the same time. I come from Gaza. The Gaza Strip is a tiny geography, But the the impact of this tiny geography on global politics is beyond imagination. Now, every single superpower and regional power in the region is busy with what's happening in the Gaza Strip. Uh, We've seen how China and Russia and the U.S. have different opinions on what's happening in Gaza, where Russia and China, on one hand, have called for a ceasefire at the U.N. Security Council, And the U.S. vetoed that resolution, only calling for humanitarian poses. This is an interesting term. This is the first time we we hear about it, where Palestinians are only given the chance to um, survive for a few hours before the bombardment um, that destroyed 60% of uh, Gaza's um, houses uh, will resume again. Uh, Helena. Uh, How are you? And welcome to the podcast.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Yusuf. um, I'm feeling very sad and um, a little bit impotent, but I'm hoping that with this podcast, um, under your leadership, we can really make the connections between the global movement for justice and the movement for justice and survival and and liberation that the people of Palestine are undergoing right now. Uh, So thanks for for hosting this. We're also working with uh, Tony Groves of um, Tortoise Shack Media in Dublin, Ireland, who has graciously given us the tagline for our podcast, which is One World, One Struggle. And I think that's just exactly where we want to be and i think that yusuf you have just pulled together a great list of things for us to talk about today
0: thank you very much helena and thank you tony again for for hosting us um what do you think helena of the position of the united states uh on Mm -hmm. gaza and the ceasefire in gaza
1: oh goodness um you know i'm sitting here um in what we could call the belly of the beast in Washington, DC, on the traditional land of the Piscataway and Nekoch tanks here. Um, it's it would be extremely depressing if you just were to listen to the political leaders in this country. Um, obviously, President Biden, who has refused and refused to call for a ceasefire, who has regurgitated all the propaganda and disinformation that the um, Israeli government has uh, given, and has also just been sending bombs and weapons and intelligence support and tactical support and aircraft carrier battle groups to help Israel in this genocide. So if you just look at that, it would be very depressing. But if you look at the popular level, if you look at the massive support for um, Palestine right now here in the United States, it's amazing compared with you know when I first came here in 1982 or even earlier um, times, earlier Israeli assaults on Gaza. So the question is how to transform this political support at the grassroots level, especially among younger people including younger Palestinian-Americans, uh, Muslim-Americans, Black-Americans, queer-Americans, Jewish-Americans, to transform this support into real, a real change of policy at the national level.
0: I, I totally agree with you, Helena. And I, as a Palestinian from Gaza, I was particularly um, impacted in, in a positive way by the um, protests organized by the the Jewish Voice for Peace, young Jewish Americans taking to the streets, blocking, um, you know, governmental, like, buildings and um, subways calling for ceasefire. Um, I was amazed by, you know, this huge wave of support. People saying, frankly, this should not happen in my name. Um, They no longer accept the use of you know their name to commit genocide and crimes against palestinians in gaza uh so far palestinians have counted 11300 victims of israel's onslaught on the uh, coastal enclave and this was actually 3 days ago because they lost count they cannot communicate now there is a uh, total blackout in in gaza i was lucky enough to speak to my mom in the morning she told me that um uh, She was able to get some bread and she was lucky enough to to get it. And there is also a lack of water and fuel where people do not have access to clean water. Uh, And actually, the situation was disastrous before this escalation took place, where 97% of Gaza's water was unfit for human consumption. And now Israel is bombing water tanks, bakeries, hospitals. Today, they broke into a Shifa hospital. Uh, I just, you know, cannot understand what um, a hospital would mean in military terms uh, to circle a hospital and break into it and to bomb, you know, medicine and interrogate people and shoot people. And if any of the paramedics try to help these people bleeding on the ground, they would also be shot. This is unbelievable. Uh, I've never seen this in my life. This is a second Nakba. It's truly a second Nakba for many people. There are elderly Palestinians who became refugees for the second and third times in their, their lives because of this escalation. Uh, but again, the support for Palestine on a popular level, which, as you said, and I totally agree, should be translated into um, political action and should impact politicians uh, very soon, uh, is very important um, I've seen a letter. Even there are some politicians within these structures disagreeing with the Biden administration. Four hundred members um, from the federal government in the U.S. working for the um, Justice Department, for example, uh, the White House expressed their um, you know lack of support for the approach of the Biden administration on Gaza. Nine. Uh, French ambassadors wrote to President Macron, uh, warning him that the current position of France on the escalation of genocide in Gaza will impact, will have long-term implications for France in, in the region, because the majority of people in the region are very angry at what's happening to the Palestinian people these days. And the France and the U.S. and other countries which support Israel and send weapons to Israel cannot justify their their positions, cannot justify the killing of more than 4,000 Palestinian children and almost 3,000 Palestinian women. So this is not a war against Hamas, as as they say. They're targeting every single Palestinian. And I I would like to to honor two people here uh, before I move to you. Um, My friend Salah Asalhi was killed three days ago in Gaza. He was my childhood friend, um, and we went to school every day until high school. Um, He was killed in cold blood in in Gaza. Uh, His other two siblings survived because they migrated from Gaza because of the economic hardships due to the 16-year-long siege in Gaza. Uh, I would like also to honor uh, Salwa Farah, who an elderly Palestinian Christian, who was killed uh, yesterday in Gaza. She was shot, and by the way, she comes from one of the um, most you know like rooted Christian families in, in in Gaza. She was shot. She was in her seventies, and she was left to bleed. She was not given any help, and she spent the night in the street bleeding. And the next day, according to eyewitnesses, an Israeli tank uh, drove over her body. So these are people, there's not numbers. And we're very hopeful that these protests across the globe will bring about change. um, Finally, to change the position of the American government and the French government in the West that is supporting um, Israel uh, for no reason.
1: Yeah, thank you for... um Mentioning those two names, those two people who are who whom who touched you personally, it's really hard in the middle of this uh, genocide to think of each individual person. But I think it's it's wonderful that you did that. Um, it's also important that you mentioned that um, you know the West as such is is not unified in this. at the grassroots level, most people in the West are horrified by the genocide in Gaza and want it to end. And at the governmental level, most of the governments of the West are continuing to support Israel, except that there are some differences amongst the European countries. And actually, President Macron himself has come out in in favor of a ceasefire, it would be great if he could do something to make that happen. Um, but we're at a time when when the global power of the United States in world affairs is crumbling before our very eyes. You know, for for so many like twenty five years after the end of the Soviet Union, the United States was able to. Act like a hegemon over the whole world. And that is no longer the case. Um, actually, today, as we speak, um, President Biden is meeting with President Xi of China in San Francisco. And we don't know if, obviously, we don't know if, if the Gaza crisis is going to be mentioned there, but the relationship between China and um, the United States between China and Russia and the United States, the emergence of this powerful new grouping called the BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, which is growing. It's going to grow by six more countries at the end of this year. All of this frames the uh, the context in which the United States is becoming much more isolated at the global level. So I don't know what you think um, will will come of this. And I know you have news from other parts of the world about other countries that are um, coming out very strongly against Israel's genocide.
0: I totally agree with you. The world is changing. Global politics is changing. The U.S. is no longer the only hegemon power in, in the world. Uh, you mentioned Brexit. Um, more countries will be joining BRICS, and the uh, economies of these countries combined will play you know an important role in in shaping politics because we cannot separate politics from economy these days. Uh, so they're powerful countries with uh, you know a huge amount of, of um, budgets and GDPs. That will shape the the global politics and um, the monopoly of a couple of superpowers over global politics will come to an end. Uh, We live in a multipolar world where more countries, emerging countries, middle powers are joining the race for hegemony. It's no longer the U.S. alone. Um, But also, if we look at the Western bloc, I think the resignation or the sacking of the uh, UK Home Secretary is very interesting development uh, that people on on the street matter because she didn't want Palestinians and their supporters to protest. And she called for uh, intervention against them. The head of the police department in London refused to do that. And she was finally sacked. Basically, she called for more clashes to to take place in in London, which is not the best idea. So this is an interesting development. At the same time, Belgium Deputy Prime Minister uh, D. Shatar, I hope I got her name right, um, she called for sanctions against Israel because of the genocide in Gaza. Um, Also, uh, Ion Bilara, Spanish uh, minister called for uh, legal action against Israel um, because of the sh- genocide in Gaza. Turkey has voiced its uh, you know, harsh criticism against Israel, both on a popular level. I live in Turkey. I see uh, protests and thousands and tens of thousands of people taken to the streets on daily basis. We have seen a huge crowd in Istanbul. Um, Three weeks ago, but it's still going on, and people are boycotting. You know, I think we should also talk about the power of the boycott here. Uh, I know what's the situation in in the US, but in uh, in the Middle East, a lot of people are joining these boycott calls um, to boycott companies complicit in the genocide in Gaza. And this again brings us to the power of people. What do you think, Helena? How's the situation over there?
1: Um. I, I agree that, um, yeah, the boycott movement is powerful. I think right now here in the United States, the movement against the arms companies, and that's also the case, I think, in the UK and maybe other European countries, um, the American arms companies that are making massive profits out of, you know, the, all these military budgets that, um, President Biden ha- has, has asked for and looks as though he's going to get. so individual people here in the United States who own um, shares in in these companies are making a lot of money. The rest of us have to go and I, I would say, really protest against these arms companies, first and foremost, but also against the other companies that are um, profiting from from the genocide. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, Turkey. And um, you have news from elsewhere, I think, um, in the Muslim world, maybe from Malaysia. Can you tell us more, more broadly what's, what's happening on Palestine? But just before you do that, actually, I see that we're about halfway through. So I want to just remind listeners that you're listening to the PALCAST a new twice-weekly podcast on the intersection of Palestinian politics and world affairs. Our host is Dr. Yusuf El-Jamal, with us from Sakarya, Turkey, and our tagline is One World, One Struggle, in homage to the anti-colonial strugglers of Ireland. The PalCast is a collaboration of the U.S.-based nonprofit Just World Educational and of Tortoise Shack Media, based in Dublin, Ireland. We urge you to tell your friends and networks about the PALcast, to follow us on Apple or Spotify, and to start posting great reviews for PALcast there for Just World Educational. I'm Helena Coban and now back to Yusuf. So, Yusuf, rest of the world, yes, Be, uh,
0: the rest of the world, the rest of the international community, as we say, <laughs> because the international community these days is very much uh, is, uh, is the West. Uh, if we look at Malaysia, for example, uh Malaysian Prime Minister joined thousands of protesters to condemn Israel uh, and Western allies for, quote, barbarism in Gaza. Uh, in Turkey, as I said, uh, three lawyers brought a case to the general prosecutor against Israel, and he has deferred their case to the International Criminal Court. Um, so people here are very angry at the blind support by the West to make, you know, the genocide in Gaza by Israel possible. Uh, We've seen the hypocrisy of the West multiple times and, you know, like killing babies cannot be justified in Gaza. We've seen how they shifted their discourse when Ukraine was being attacked and when Palestine is being attacked. It's just the total contrast. Uh, is unbelievable to many people. And um, I think the West and Western administrations should think twice about their positions and approaches because these approaches will change people in the Middle East for a long time. They cannot come in the future and tell people, you know, we call for the human rights we protect human rights when we are against dictatorships we support elections etc etc uh, and we protect the rights of uh, civilians and palestinians it, it doesn't work uh, we've seen this firsthand they're sending weapons to massacre children in gaza to destroy gaza completely 60% of houses in gaza have been Destroyed. Even if Israel leaves Gaza, Palestinians in Gaza cannot live, 60% of Palestinians in Gaza so far now cannot go back to their homes, they cannot live there anymore. So the destruction is systemic, and it, it was made possible by this Western support for, for Israel, um, through, you know, political support, but also military aid, uh, sending, as you said, all these aircraft carriers uh having a line of support military support to israel uh have enabled all these crimes and we they have to think twice
1: yeah um i one of the problems one of the big structural problems here is this thing called the veto at the un security council because as we saw in during october and until now there have been a number of uh, attempts by um members of the Security Council, I think currently the chairman is Malta, or it might be China, it rotates every month. Um, But a number of attempts by the 15 members of the Security Council to bring a resolution that calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. And when the Security Council calls for something, it has authoritative power in international relations. You know, it can order things to happen. But the United States, every time, has vetoed this call for a ceasefire. So there are five countries, as we know, that have a veto in in the Security Council. That's Russia, China, the United States, Britain, and France. So now... France has come out in favor of a ceasefire. Russia and China have been calling for one all along, and it's only Britain and the United States which are blocking the the call for a ceasefire. In contrast, on the 27th of October, there was this amazing meeting of the UN General Assembly, which is a much broader group, but doesn't have the same authority that the Security Council has. And in the meeting of the uh, UN General Assembly, 120 states representing the vast majority of the world's peoples voted for a ceasefire resolution. Only 13 states, many of them tiny dependencies. One of them is even Micronesia, which has to be like the most embarrassing name for a country I have ever heard. Um, but 13 states lined up with the United States to vote against the ceasefire resolution. So it's clear that at the global level, the vast majority of the world's peoples and their governments want a ceasefire, but it's this veto that is blocking it. So that's why we here in the United States have a particular responsibility, I think, to change the policy of our government, which is blocking um, a ceasefire So that, that's just one thing. And I, I also want to ask you about the, um, more about the legal cases against, well, there's a legal case here against the Biden administration leaders, um, for their complicity in the genocide. Um, so the, the, under the genocide convention, which is a particular agreement in international law, If there is a genocide, then the governments that are party to the genocide convention are obligated to intervene to stop it. So, what's happening internationally in this call for um, actually using the genocide convention?
0: Um, I think there was a group of French lawyers, 300 French lawyers, uh, have offered their services to petition on behalf of the Palestinian people in Gaza before the International Criminal Court. And I think this is very important. Mm -hmm. Legal solidarity is equally important these days when Palestinians do not have access to these international organs and bodies. Um, So having this legal support to deliver the voice of the Palestinian people and represent them before legal bodies is very important because there will be a legal battle once the war in Gaza is over. Um, So people are working hard to, um, you know, make sure that Israeli war criminals are brought to justice one day. And this is the hope of every single Palestinian in Gaza because for many years, Israel committed crimes against Palestinians, but they were Israeli leaders were never brought to justice. Uh, they have always enjoyed this immunity, uh, you know, without any uh, implications because, again, because of the support they receive from the United States and other Western countries. Um, so there's a need now to call for a ceasefire, to listen to people on the streets everywhere in the world. They're calling for a ceasefire. And I think all these Western leaders should be very careful. Uh, because, as I as you said, there will be legal battles and there will be suitcases, uh, legal cases uh, to bring them, you know, to justice, and uh, they, they will be held responsible for their actions. Uh, for example, a French lawyer has filed a legal complaint against Israeli supporters who mocked the killing of children uh, in Gaza on social media. There were 50 Israeli doctors who called for bombing hospitals. They told the IDF that there is no problem, there is no ethical problem in storming a hospital. And this is unbelievable. And now there are also a group of uh, Egyptian lawyers who are trying to revoke their medical license because this is against like the basic medical ethics. In the world, so they should know that there will be legal implications. Uh, Israel has always threatened people with legal legal cases, um, and I think they should face the same same fate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit closer to home for you, um, Yusuf. I know you have family in the West Bank. Could you talk just a little bit about um, what's happening in the West Bank? Because, of course, the killing and the destruction in Gaza is is getting nearly all the headlines. But the situation in the West Bank is pretty bad, too, right?
0: Yeah, it's very bad. Nearly 200 Palestinians were killed in the West Bank since the uh, escalation in Gaza started on October 7th. Um, Israeli settlers are attacking Palestinians, humiliating them. There are videos circulating of the Israeli army um, arresting Palestinians and forcing them to take off their clothes and releasing them naked afterwards. The torture against Palestinian prisoners. uh, Two workers from Gaza who were arrested by Israel inside Israel uh, were killed. And uh, hundreds of Palestinian workers who were in Israel and in the West Bank were also from Gaza. They, they were arrested and they were sent back. Of course, they were tortured. They were left without food for many days. Um, and then they were sent back to, to Gaza through the uh, Red Cross. Uh, the Israeli attacks uh, on, on the West Bank are equally bad. They're storming Jenin, Nablus, Tul Karim yesterday, where six Palestinians were killed. Uh, Every day we have almost like five to ten Palestinians killed in different towns and villages in the West Bank, either because of Israeli attacks, like Israeli army attacks, invasions, or because of settler violence. Uh, There are more checkpoints. Settlers are waiting for Palestinians with guns to you know, threatened them. I saw two Israeli settlers who actually, and for the first time I see this, dressed like Israeli soldiers and broke into a school in Hebron and they threatened the staff and students and they were armed to the teeth. They were insulting people with all types of bad words. So this is what's happening in, in, in the West Bank and has been happening in the West Bank. This is our not, normal life before October seven.
1: So the, the challenge, the political challenge, um, is not just for a ceasefire in Gaza. The political challenge is for liberation of Palestine, however that is defined by the Palestinians, whether it's a one-state or a two-state solution. But um, And that will obviously require considerable political work by the Palestinian leadership to renew the Palestinian leadership. Um I, I think, you know, the real work will start after the ceasefire, but um, are you hearing anything about Palestinian reconciliation efforts yet? Or is it just, you know, the Israelis and their American backers are just talking about two options, one of which is that Israel stays in Gaza after the ceasefire, and the other is that they bring in um, Abu Mezin, Mahmoud Abbas, to come and rule over Gaza in the same way that he's ruled over the West Bank—that is completely as a as a puppet for the Israeli authorities. But yeah. um, are you, what are you hearing about um, other options for pal- that Palestinians are proposing for um, renewing the Palestinian Liberation Organization?
0: You know, Israel has prevented Palestinian election for f- fifteen years now. Um, almost 15 years. And um, as long as there is Israel in between, no elections can take a place in Jerusalem, for example. So I do believe that Palestinians have to think creatively about unity and elections away from these restrictions. We've seen how the American administration has a different view than that of Israel when it comes to Gaza. Netanyahu said he wants to stay in Gaza for a while. The U.S. said no, they want to bring Mahmoud Abbas. But then the prime minister of Mahmoud Abbas, uh, Dr. Muhammad Ishteya, said we are not going to go back to Gaza on the top of tanks or back of tanks. And um, again, I think the Palestinian people are the um, only um, uh, party here that has the say over the future of Gaza and the future of Palestinian politics. Definitely, we need elections. But then we have to consider the situation in Palestine and the occupation of Palestine by Israel that makes election impossible. We have to think creatively uh, outside the box to have more representation where more political parties can join the PLO and uh, not necessarily under Israel's umbrella and occupation in, in Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, we have also Palestinians living in the diaspora. And they have the right to join uh, these forces, to have their representatives as well uh, in the uh, Palestinian National Council. And it's not about the PA. It's not about Gaza alone. It's, about the West, it's also about the West Bank. It's also about Palestinians in Israel, Palestinians in the diaspora. Uh, But for sure, what I can tell you, that there is no force on earth that can impose um, a government on Palestinians that they do not want. And um, if Israel chooses to stay in Gaza, then this is the uh, natural development of the relationship between Palestinians and Israel. Israel is the occupying power, and they should be treated as such. But then they have to deal with the implications of running Gaza if they are interested in running Gaza. I don't think that they are. Uh, they want to destroy Gaza. They want to have uh, some sort of uh, access to Gaza and control without being there themselves. They're looking for collaborators, basically, uh, to deal with. Uh, but they will not find them in Gaza. They will not find them anywhere in, in Palestine. Palestinians are afraid of the occupation. They're like sick of of Israel's ongoing occupation. And uh, I don't think this is what will succeed.
1: Yeah, a lot more to talk about. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the work I did a, a long time ago on the history of the PLO with those um, PLO constituent groups, Fatah and the Jepa yeah. uh, Demokratia, Jepa Shaabiya, Popular Front and Democratic Front and all the others, which arose in re- in response to the Nakba of 1948 but now we have in in essence the israelis trying to make a new nakba and i i'm looking for um a renewal of the palestinian liberation organization outside primarily of the of the zone of israel's control because so long as israel controls it it'll just be divide and rule divide and rule so so many lessons um yusuf from like what you've studied and what I've studied about anti-colonial struggles worldwide. And I think we have a lot more to discuss in the next episode. Do you have anything to say just before we we wrap this one up?
0: Uh, thank you, Helena. And I think it's um, also important to highlight the fierce Israeli campaigns, propaganda campaigns. Oh, yeah, um, so. Probably you've seen the... Um, so-called nurse from a Shifa hospital who claimed that she works there and she couldn't find medicine because it was stolen by Hamas. Uh, It was found out later that she was an Israeli-Mexican nurse and she was acting so that she wins more solidarity and uh, support from different people across the globe to promote Israel's uh, genocidal narrative. Also, there was a commander in the Israeli army who claimed that he found some evidence that the basement of a Rantisi Hospital in Gaza, which was uh, stormed by the Israeli forces, was used as a basement um, by Hamas by pointing to a timetable of different shifts for staff working at the hospital. He just showed the, um, basically the seven days of the week and the dates starting from October 7th. And he said, there's a guy called Hamis, which is uh, the Arabic word (laughs) for Thursday. (laughs) Um, Again, I think that the level of propaganda is very low, that Israel will need much time to repair its image in the world by paying some protesters in Washington, D.C., $250 to join the rally uh i don't think this will even be enough
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was much smaller much much smaller than the um huge protest that was here 10 days ago so um i think we really should wrap up now yusuf um and it's really my honor to work with you on this project um People, you have been listening to the PALcast, a podcast on the intersection of Palestinian politics and world affairs, featuring host Dr. Youssef El Jamal. Our tagline is One World, One Struggle in homage to the anti colonial strugglers of Ireland. The PALcast is a collaboration of the US based nonprofit Just World Educational and Tortoise Shack Media based in Dublin, Ireland. Since we are new and the times are dire, we urge you to follow the PalCast on Apple or Spotify so you can catch each new episode as soon as it drops. And please start posting great reviews for us on those platforms. Tell all your friends and networks about the PalCast too, so they can start listening. On behalf of Just World Educational, I want to thank PalCast's great host, Dr. Yusuf Jamal. Yusuf, it's just an honor to work with you.
0: Thank you, Helena, for joining uh, me today, and the conversation will will continue.
1: Absolutely. So much more to talk about with our next episodes. Um, I also want to thank Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media, who's the other half of our collaboration here. We urgently call for a complete ceasefire in Gaza and for the speedy march of Palestinians to liberation and to building a secure and hopeful future for their people. I'm Helena Corbin, stay alert for our next timely episode coming up soon.